still in Ephesians 5 this morning, remind you of verse 3, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. We've been looking at the theme in verse uh, 3 through 14 of Ephesians, talking about no immorality, not even a hint of it is to be named in the church. So we've looked at no immorality, outs, uh, sexual immorality outside marriage, no immorality inside marriage between a husband and a wife. Um, last week we looked at not being uh, dragged into the immorality of the LGBT movement, lifestyle. And this morning I want us to look at the immorality that, has, that easily comes upon us through pornography. Now don't think in any shape, term this morning that this is a narrow message. This message affects every single one of us. 60% of internet activity daily, 60% of it, the great majority, is visiting pornographic sites. 40% of everyone who turns on the internet visits a pornographic site at least once a month. 40%. This affects all of us. 90%, catch this, practically everyone. It's hard to survey everyone. 90% of 8-year-olds to 16-year-olds have viewed pornography. And the average age for beginning to see it is 8 years old. That's the average, which means many catch it much sooner than that. So hormones have not kicked in yet, and eight-year-olds are already viewing pornography. This affects every one of us. Ninety percent have already seen it their first time by eight-year-olds to, to 16. So this is something we need to be aware of. We need to know what the Scripture says about it, um, how to respond to it, um, I thought about taking a survey. How many of people here have never seen pornography? And I expect every hand to stay down. That everybody here has been affected. In other words, if you can understand what I'm talking about, you've already seen it once. If you can't understand, you're too young and you haven't quite gotten there yet. But you're close. And some of you have already seen it and just didn't know what you were seeing. It's that wide spread. I have personally counseled people from 8 years old to 68 years old in this church. I've personally struggled with it. You've personally struggled with it. This is not something that escapes us. We have to know how to deal with this. So I've been searching for years on getting good counsel to people who are addicted, who are struggling, who just happen upon how do we deal with immorality that is seen by us? How do we deal with it? So I've got a nine-step kind of plan for you that I want to take you through the counsel I've been giving so you can have it as a tool uh, to deal with this problem. First of all, let's define it. Just what are we de dealing with? And realize it's in Scripture a lot. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 13 and 18. Here's a definition of pornography. Um, you know it. You just maybe didn't uh, see the Greek behind it. But 
pornography itself comes from a Greek word. The New Testament is written in Greek. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. The Greek word is, it sounds a lot like what we use in the English. The Greek word is porneia. And from the Greek word porneia, we get the translation pornography. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither, and here's the word in Greek, neither porneia, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Porneia is often translated either as fornication or as immorality. Down in verse 13, it's translated as immorality. Verse 13 says, Food's for the stomach, stomach's for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for porneia. It's not for pornography. It's not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. And then down at verse 18, Flee porneia. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man, the pornographer, sins against his own body. Jesus spoke about it, spoken about here by Paul. It's throughout the scripture. Let not any of this immorality even be named among us. Um, we need to deal with it. We need to know what it is. Uh, it's, basically, it's basically seeking sex outside of marriage in any shape or form. Uh, pornography as a tool is, is anything that's trying to uh, sexually arouse people to pursue sex outside of marriage. And there's lots of ways to sexually arouse folks, but any tool being used for that um, is, is a pornographic instrument or tool at times for that purpose. Um, it's basically this, to make it simple, it's... it's it's lust through looking. Lust through looking. You look at something, that's okay. But you look and lust after something. You, you desire something. You want something that's not for you. That's not yours. That's outside your marriage or outside God's design for marriage. That's the sin that... God wants us to deal with. That's the immorality. Let me give you some quick examples that God gives us in Scripture of people committing this sin, uh, of lusting, looking with lust uh, in their eyes. Look at um, the first one, Genesis 39, verse 7. Here's the wife of a rich Egyptian, and she looks with lust. Genesis 39. Verse 7 says, It came after... Wait, let me back up the last phrase of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. In other words, he's a, he's a hump, all right? And he looks the part. Verse 7, It came about... After these events, that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. She looked at him, and she wanted what she saw. He looked good to her. 
She wanted to have sex with him. That sex out, she was married. She's a married woman outside of marriage. When Joseph finds out that's what she wants, he calls it out in verse 9. He said, that's sin. Uh, he gets it. They haven't committed physical adultery. She's already committed it in her heart. She's been aroused sexually by his good looks, and she wants it. That's the same sin that can get into us if we look and want what's not appropriate for us, which is what uh, pornography tries to get us to do. Look at another example. Look at the uh, um, example in Proverbs 7, verse 15 through 27. It's amazing. A number of the examples that God gives us in Scripture are women lusting after men. We have this worldly perception it's only a man's problem. Yet God makes it clear from the book of Genesis on, no, 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 this is across the board. We're all sexual creatures. Here's one in Proverbs 7, beginning at verse 15. It says, Therefore, I have come out to meet you. You're going to see from the context what this literally means is, I've come out to entice you for sex. So therefore, I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. In other words, I've already fixed my bed up for you. I have spread, uh, verse 17, I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses, for my husband is not at home. So sex outside of marriage. He has gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him which means he's, he's got enough money to stay gone a long time. At the full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. That's what the pornographer seeks to do, to entice you to want something that's not yours outside of marriage. To entice him with her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know it will cost him his life. Boy, those are two verses you need. Suddenly he follows her. It's like, bam! I mean, she's been enticing, been enticing, been enticing, been enticing. If, if she had a smartphone, she's sexting. You know, she's, she's sending him messages over and over and over, trying to, to lure him in. He, he hears them repeatedly. And he finally thinks, well, what's the harm? Suddenly, just like that, bam. He doesn't know, the Bible, God says, he doesn't know that one sudden moment, I'm, I'm going to do it. It will cost him his life. Just like that. And he didn't get it. And so many of you need to know this warning. It's just like that. And it could cost you your life. It's uh, unbelievable. It's astronomical. Um, doctors tell me the number of people they have to treat for STDs. Where they have some disease just one time. 
and they've got this disease now they carry to the grave. They have to deal with the cost of it, the medication of it, the shame of it, the embarrassment of it, taking it to their spouse. I mean, it just, just like that. And they, it's costing them greatly. And some, it even kills. What goes on? Verse 24. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. See, this is no small matter. And her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. This is sin that literally kills people. Being enticed into sexual attractions outside of marriage. Uh, and it's so easy for it to happen, and it happens over and over. Now, one more quick example. I've given you two for women, so I, it's only fair that I give you one for, for guys. Second Samuel 11. Second Samuel 11, this, the famous story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, David was supposed to be the king leading his people out to war. Verse 1, he's not, so he's being negligent. Verse 2 of 2 Samuel 11 says, Now when evening came, David arose from his bed, walked around on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And a woman, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So just as we saw in Genesis, Joseph looked good. In 2 Samuel, Bathsheba looks good. God has created us with attraction. We look good to one another. And so David's looking. And then he goes beyond looking at a beautiful woman. Verse 3, so David sent and he acquired. says, you know, I think I want her. Verse 4, David sent messengers and took her. And by verse 5, it moves pretty fast. She's pregnant. But to see the sin was he was enticed to look. He looked went beyond looking to lusting, which is a desire for what is evil and wrong and inappropriate according to God's Word. He looked, he lusted, and he committed this sin of looking and lusting after what's inappropriate. All right, for us to deal with pornography, we've got to understand that's what we're dealing with, looking and lusting. And one of the things we must acknowledge and set straight right off the bat. We don't live right here in Anderson anyway in the same culture King David did where we've got public baths and we just look out our window and see people taking a bath. We don't have that culture. There, there are cultures in, a, in the world that have that. But even though we don't have that culture, we need to acknowledge and recognize we live in culture, we live on this planet where there are many how to say this, uh, many nude, acceptable areas. There are many nude, acceptable areas, just like David saw. We call them televisions. We call them computers. We call them smartphones. We call them Snapchat. We call them blogs. How many of you saw the Olympics? We call them the Olympics. If you saw the Olympics, you saw nudity and partial nudity. And it's acceptable. 
It's acceptable many places. The problem is not nudity. And we've got to get that because there is no way you're going to be able to set up enough safeguards or barriers to keep you from seeing attractive men, women, boys, girls. You're not going to be able to do that because we live in a nude, acceptable world. God is not asking us to separate or create all of those barriers. Let me show you what he's asking us. Look at 1 John chapter 2. Verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. He's not asking you to love it. He's asking you to deal with it. He makes it plain. 1 John 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. But verse 16 is what I want you to get. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, that is not from the Father. It's from the world. Now, the attraction of a woman, the attraction of a man, that is from God. That she's beautiful, that he's handsome, that is from God. God says, you're not going to escape that. What I want you to escape, what I want you not to love, what I want you to flee from is the lust of the eyes. It's not the eyes. You don't have to close the eyes. You have to shut off the lust of the eyes. And he makes it clear what he's talking about. The lust of the flesh. Wanting and desiring what is not appropriate. So the question really is, how do we live in this nude, acceptable world without being of the world and without having eyes full of adultery and fornication? And pornography. How can we live without having eyes of flesh, eyes of lust, so that we can obey God's command? How can we have bodies that it reminds me of First Thessalonians four verse three says, "This is the will of God for you that you abstain from immorality." How can we abstain and have bodies that are possessed in holiness and godliness? in the midst of this nude, acceptable uh, climate that God's created and is around us, and we're not going to escape from. Well, I want you to have a plan. You see, that's, that's a tough assignment. That's why it affects all of us so, because we've been given lots of false information to deal with it, and, and we can't. Let me give you some nine steps here. Uh, maybe I've called them five, but there's four more after that. Uh, uh, battle plan for victory. You're not going to be able to deal with this without a good plan. Number one, acknowledge sexual lust exists. Acknowledge that they exist. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13 makes this clear. It says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. You'll find victory. If you conceal it, if you don't confess it, you're not going to get off the starting block. If you're going to continue to live in a state of denial and say, everybody else struggles with that, but I've never had any problem at looking at something inappropriate and then wanting it. The first step is to acknowledge, yeah, 
I've had that problem too. There's times I've looked with lust in my eyes, with eyes of adultery and eyes of fornication, um, and I shouldn't have. We must acknowledge our sin or we can't deal with it. So first of all, acknowledge that it exists. Uh, chapter 4 of Proverbs, I love this, verse 14 and 15 says, um, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Don't pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. It's there. You've got to acknowledge it. You can't say, oh, that, that won't bother me. You have to say, no, it does bother me. It has bothered me. I acknowledge it. And when you acknowledge it, then you uh, can move on. If we keep ignoring that fire will burn, we'll keep getting burned. We can't ignore the problem. We've got to deal with it or we're not going to move. Number two, then once you've acknowledged it, confess that what you're doing is breaking the sin of the seventh commandment, primarily the eighth commandment, tenth commandment. First commandment. I mean, this is serious sin. That's what I'm trying to get across here. Confess sin. The seventh commandment is don't commit adultery. If you look with eyes of adultery, Jesus says, if you look at a woman and you lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So confess that. I've, I've looked and, and, and I wanted her or I wanted him, and that's adultery. That's a serious sin. The Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. That's private pleasure for someone else. That's someone else's private sanctuary, the way you described it to Ezekiel. And I want to steal it. That's wrong. I need to acknowledge the wrongness of that. Or the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. I'm coveting right now. Or the First Commandment, have no other gods. My God now is pleasure. Recognize this sin is serious sin. Confess it as sin. This is not, well, you know, I kind of caught in the little thing. No, this is big. People don't know it, and it leads to death. Acknowledge it, confess it. Number three, know your target. Know your target. You can't believe the way Satan has deceived the church, deceived mankind from dealing with this. And the reason we can't deal with it is because we don't acknowledge it, we don't confess it, we don't even know what it is. And because we don't know what it is, we can't shoot it down. So many people think the target is nudity. They think the target is partial nudity. They think the, the target is pornography, nudity in different forms. Or they think the target is masturbation, and it's none of those. It's none of those. If you don't know what it is, you can't shoot it. You've got to know what the target... The target is not out there in the world. The target is in here. It's in your heart. And we keep trying to build barriers to keep us from things out there when the problem is in our heart. So number four, aim at the heart, not others. Aim at the heart. Look at Mark uh, chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, 14 through 23. Satan constantly tries to trick us, keep us from seeing what we need to see. I want you to get this while I'm slowing down. Mark 7. Verse 14 says, After he called the crowd uh, to him, 
he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. I mean, it's like, he doesn't usually begin his messages that way. It's like, that's a given, right? Listen, understand, this is important. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, you, you must hear this. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? I love at times when Jesus says, Wait, are you stupid? And it really kind of puts us in our place. And we should respond by saying, Yes, God, I am. Obviously. I mean, this is something you told me to listen to, you told me to understand, and I'm not pursuing it. God says, Okay, let me go over this again. Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. From, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, porneia, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Aim at your heart. That's where the problem is. The problem is not that you looked. The problem is not that you felt. The problem is that you lusted in your heart. And in your heart, you wanted what God has not given to you. It's outside of what He wants for you. And because you wanted something, it's offensive to God. By the way, adult consent does not make it permissible. You're wanting what God doesn't want. So it's, it didn't become permissible just because you got somebody to agree to want it with you. It's still breach of the Seventh Commandment, Eighth Commandment, Tenth Commandment, First Commandment. You are still committing adultery and fornication. And the problem is because you want to. It's in your heart. And your sin is in your heart. And you need to repent of what's in your heart. It amazes me, uh, you know, we go through the blame game. No, 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 the, the problem's not me. It's like, like Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam says, it's the woman you gave me. It's, it's my wife. And the wife says, no, 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 it's not me. It's, it's the serpent. We play the same game. The problem is not pornography. You know, if my wife was just more responsive, responsive to me, or, or the wife says, no, the problem's not that. It's if my husband would just not leave me alone so much. Or... We're single, and we say, the problem, Lord, is you. you. You've made me single. I don't even have any opportunities. Don't play the blame game. The, the game is not making the target somebody else. The target is us. It's our heart. We're not going to defeat this by blaming someone out there for the way they're behaving, the way they're not behaving. We're only going to defeat this when we see that we are defiled, we are polluted, we are unholy because of our own hearts. That leads us to well, what's 
How do we fix our heart? That's exactly right. Our heart needs to be fixed. Our want to needs to be fixed. I want something that's inappropriate. It's not according to God's Word. So, I, God, I need you to change my want, the desires of my heart, the will in my heart, the thinking of my heart. I need a new heart. And who can give a new heart? Only Christ can give us a new heart. I love Ezekiel 36, verse 27. It says, it says I will put a new heart within you and cause you to keep my commandments. Only Christ can sprinkle us clean with water. Only Christ can give us a new heart. Only Christ can put His Spirit within us and cause us to obey the commands instead of want to break them. So we must aim at the heart. The need is for heart surgery that only Christ can perform. No one else can do it. Um, and we need it from Him. Number, so acknowledge it, confess it, know your target, aim at the heart, not others. Don't play the blame game. Number five, God's Word, not your willpower. God's Word, not your willpower, is the primary tool for victory. So many people miss this. God's Word, not your willpower. See, I need, I need my willpower to be changed. My so many counselors say, you just need to be a better person. You need to, you need to, to try harder. You need to work on these, these things. And we need to get to the place. Where, no, no, I need a new will. I need a new heart. And I need power outside of myself. And that power comes from the Word of God. I don't know why we think that's strange. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Verse 9. Through 11. Psalm 119. Be pure by keeping it according to your word. So you want purity, you want holiness. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. One of the reasons, let me just say this, one of the reasons our world is so immoral and one of the reasons our church is so immoral is because we have hidden the Word of God. We've removed the Word of God from our society, from our fabric, from our hearts. How can a man keep his way moral, holy, Pure. It says, by the Word of God. We failed to remember how powerful is the Word of God. How did God create the world? By the Word of His power. God speaks things into existence. God's Word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the heart. We ignore the very tool that is powerful. It's receiving the Word of God in us. And the Word of God in us is what creates for us purity and holiness. Uh, we've got to 
See, the, the, the tool, the power is the Word of God. Look at James 1, 21. I'm going to give you a, some other verses. James 1, 21. And then Romans 13. James 1, verse 21. It says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. What do you need to do? You acknowledge the sin, you put it away, but you've got to receive the word. It's got to be in us. That's, that's what saves us. That's what redeems us. That's what sanctifies us. That's what purifies us. That's what's power within us to keep our way pure. You must receive it. Take it in. Uh, hear preaching. Hear the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Get it into you. Because God uses it as His tool to sanctify and purify and keep you. Uh, look at one other passage. Look at Romans 13, verse 12 through 14. You'll see here armor. And you'll see God's Word. And you'll see Christ. Romans 13, verse 12. The night's almost gone, the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. How? Put, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Back in verse 12, it said, put on the armor of light. Verse 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think they're synonymous. How do you put on armor that's going to keep you from evil and darkness and immorality and sensuality and pornography? How, how do you protect yourself on that? What is really the barrier that protects you? It's not just cutting off the Internet or uh, putting shades on your eyes. I mean, what is the real barrier? Is that the real barrier, the armor of light, the armor of the Christian, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. That makes no provision for the flesh. When you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? James told us, Psalms told us, you receive the word of God in you to save your souls. Who saves us? Jesus came to save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, 23. It's the word of God. Who is the word? Jesus. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the, world, and the word dwelt, became flesh and dwelt among us. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ by receiving his words as a daily diet into you. You must be receiving, hearing from Christ. I tell people as I try to teach them how to read through the Bible and have their uh, daily devotional time, I said, look, here's your number one goal. I said, I don't care how much you read. How, uh, I want you to read often. I want you to read daily. But if you only have time for 30 seconds, just read 30 seconds. And here's your goal. You ask God, God, speak to me. I just want to receive you. I want to hear you. Don't go through a day without talking to God and having God be received by you, into you. You must hear His Word. You must be filled with Jesus. You must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, our world's not doing that. Churches aren't doing it. 
I'm getting criticized more and more and more for, oh, David, he's, just, he's always preaching the Bible. He's always giving so much of the Bible. You don't, you can't, I can't tell you how sad it is to hear of whole churches, whole congregations that spend their Sabbath day and they don't receive the Word of God. They want something that they consider more current, more relevant, and yet it's the Word of God that is the power to grant us morality and change, new hearts. So, uh, I decided what I was going to do here under five. God's Word, not our willpower. If you were to ask me, and I've had this question in counseling, okay, if, if I need to receive God's Word, I've, I've got a current problem. I have eyes of adultery. I look with lust in my heart. Give me some, some scriptures that I can feed on right now to help me deal with that problem, and then I'll move to problem number two. But that's the problem I'm here to address. I said, great. So I'm going to give you some, and I'm just going to, for sake of time, read them fairly quickly. But, but you have them if you need to go back to them. So here's some, here's some scriptures I would start with. If I needed to deal with pornography today, I'd start with, with uh, just meditating on these over and over. This is what I call Bible bullets. This is ammunition. I want to I shoot this sin in my heart with these texts. Matthew 5, 29 through 30 says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What's Jesus saying there? It's, it's kind of like the, uh, Solomon in Proverbs when he said, you know, in a moment this catches you and it goes to the way of death. Jesus says, look, yeah, this sin is so serious, you had better deal with it in a radical fashion this is radical surgery when you cut off an arm or take out an eye that means you're going to die if you don't do something and do it fast and quick and seriously and that's the way jesus says deal with sin deal with it deal with it deal with it uh, so memorize this passage think about this passage because it says this is something that's very serious i shouldn't play with this this is not a sin to play with this is someone this is a sin that kills matthew 5 verse 8 he says Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you want to see God? Oh, I want to see Him. I want to be before His presence, and I want to see Him and be at peace. Well, I've got to deal with this sinful heart then, because blessed are the pure, the pure in heart. They are the ones who see God. Meditate on that, and it cultivates in you a greater passion and concern for purity. You don't even want immorality to be named among you. And you really have your focus to see God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. What does that tell you? Jesus died for our bodies, for our flesh, not just our souls. We believe, in the Apostles' Creed, in the resurrection of the body and the soul. Christ cares about our bodies. He wants us to glorify Him physically and in fantasy. 
He wants our thoughts, our bodies, everything to be used for his glory. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Many counselors will tell you, just be a better person. You know, do this, 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 and you'll be a better person. No, no, I'm not telling you that. Don't be a better person. Be a new creation of God. And when you fight sin, you don't fight it by, by trying to be better. You fight it as a victorious warrior. You're not a victim. You're a victor in Christ. Christ says, behold, all things have become new. You have a new view of God. You have a new view of man. You can look at life differently because you're victorious over it through Christ, through His Word. We need to, to, to dwell on what it need, means to be a new creation of God, one who's been given a new heart, a new will, a new power. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. I mean, how big did the numbers have to be before we realize uh, sexual sin matters? Uh, the doctors tell me that 80% of people they come to have to deal with is STDs now. What, what is that telling you? It's telling you, you reap what you sow. That's why I said you need to think about that verse. You will reap what you sow. The consequences for eyes of adultery, eyes of fornication, you're not going to escape that. How many times do we have to say it before there are consequences? Because you get to this place, you got enticement, 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 enticement. You know, I can't turn on a news site on an internet without enticement, enticement, you know, down the right bar, down the left bar. Enticement, enticement, enticement. I say, I just wanted to see CNN. I just wanted to watch Fox. I just wanted CBS. Enticement, 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 enticement. And you get these enticements, and at a moment you say, okay, nobody's looking. It's okay. Just this. And I think you need a verse that says, wait, 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 wait. You will reap what you sow. Don't go there. Because... You're going places where there are consequences. And we need the power to say, uh-uh, I got this. God has given me a better direction. Hebrew 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. For since he himself was tempted, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Look, Jesus knows our struggles. That's cool. He's been tempted. He knows the temptations. He can not only sympathize, he can aid us. He can enable us to have victory. He is our Savior and our Redeemer. He's the one who truly cares, so certainly focus on that. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Here's interesting. Uh, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of, uh, as you see the day drawing near. I love that because the enticements to sexual sin are stimulants. And God says, wait, wait, I, I... I've dealt with, I know you need stimulation. I gave you the church. Come together as the church. Don't ever forsake. When you're in sin, don't ever forsake the church because the church stimulates you to love, to good deeds, to holiness, to righteousness. Yes, you need stimulation. If you only get immoral stimulants, where's that going to lead? You need holy and righteous stimulants. We all need a safe person. James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. 
and the righteous prayer, the prayer of a righteous man, will accomplish much. So I said, a lot of our healing, it's 90% prayer. We need to be in the family of God. And a lot of times we get into these immoral places and we say, well, I'm not going to church right now because I'll be embarrassed. Wait, wait, that's the very place you need to come. You need righteous, holy stimulation. You need those safe people. You need people who will pray for you that will accomplish much through their prayers. I'm sorry if you discounted prayer and discounted the word. Those are the tools that God's given us. We need to get back to that. Uh, H. James 1, verse 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Know where you're headed. Just know where you're headed. When you see, not sinning. When you see nudity, not sinning. When you see nudity in strange ways, not sinning. When you want it, sinning. He says, each man is tempted when he's carried away by his own lust. That's when that lust is conceived. When you start wanting what's wrong. Know where you're headed. Know the path you're on. You're on the path now of death, not the path of life. Uh, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. We need to know that sex is good in marriage. It's satisfying. It's exhilarating. Which is why I gave you seven or eight reasons a few weeks ago for sex in marriage. Because it's holy. It's righteous. It's good. And we need to meditate upon that. Lamentation 3.25. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the person who seeks Him. What a promise. Do you, we, we sang several songs. Do you wait upon the Lord? Do you wait upon the Lord? Do you wait upon the Lord? You may be single. You may be married. You may be divorced. You may be struggling. Wait upon the Lord. The Lord's good for those. The Lord is good for those who wait upon Him. So make sure you do that. Okay, I've given you five tools for victory. Acknowledge sexual sin. Confess the sin of breaking commandments. Know the target. Aim at your target. God's Word is our power, not our personal willpower. Let me give you four more. The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is another tool for victory, especially in this church because we take the Lord's Supper here every week. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 through 32. Because we take this frequently, I won't spend a lot of time on it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. So you get weak. You get sick. Some even die for taking the Lord's Supper wrongly. How do you take the Lord's Supper rightly? You take the Lord's Supper rightly by saying, God, I'm a sinner, and I need cleansing, and I want to deal with my sin. I don't want to play with my sin. I know you died for my sin. You spilt your blood for my sin. So I want to take sin as seriously as you do. He says, don't take the, the, the bread or the wine unless you're dealing seriously with sin. Now, if you're playing with sexual sin in some private world, the Lord's Supper every week is a, de is, is a deterrent 
to that sin because every week you have to wrestle with this. Lord, am I dealing with it or am I playing with it? Because if I'm playing with it, I've got to let the plate pass. I would be foolish to take the bread and wine and still be playing with sin because that leads to my weakness and my sickness, maybe even my death. God says, don't play with me on sin. Sending my son, is that was no light matter. That's no joke. So you don't play with God. If God wasn't present in this sanctuary when this meal is distributed, see, this wouldn't matter. The very fact that he says, you could get weak and sick, is, 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 that's him saying, hey, I show up. I watch. I pay attention. And my people don't play with sin. If they do, there's consequences. So this is just a wonderful time of coming to a church that's having the Lord's Supper because that forces us to have a sanctification moment, a time every week. You hear the sermon, and you say, okay, now I need to deal with it. God, this is a sin I need to confess. I need to be cleansed. I need to walk out of here in new obedience. And that's what the Lord's Supper does for us. It's, 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 it's wonderful. And it's a wonderful tool that I've shared with a number of you uh, in marriage and out of marriage. Say, every time you come, make this this, this promise, God, I'm not going to take this meal unless I've dealt with this sin. And the Holy Spirit will just fill you with guilt or shame or power of release. And, of course, you want the power. So you deal with the sin, and the Holy Spirit fills you with, with His holiness and the, 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 the sweetness of, of saying victory. All right, another tool is marriage. We saw that a few weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 says, Because of immoralities... Because you got problems with eyes of the flesh and lust of the eyes. Because you got problems, every man should have his own wife and every wife should have her own husband. So marriage is a great tool of giving us the sex, of meeting the sexual needs we have. And we must use the marriage gift that God's given us as a tool to have victory over others. And so you may need to talk about something there with your spouse, but that's certainly something that needs to be happening. Number eight, prayer, prayer. Matthew 17, verse 21. Matthew 17, 21. New thought here, perhaps, so let me read it. Matthew 17, verse 21 says, But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. The disciples were dealing with demon possession. And they said, Why can't we cast out this demon? And Jesus says, well, because you've really not devoted yourself to the Lord and to prayer. This won't happen except through that kind of praying, that kind of devotion. You need to see the power of prayer. God loves it when we talk to Him. And don't give up that tool. Pour out your heart to God in prayer and ask of Him who wants to help. And then the last thing, prudence. Proverbs 14, verse 16. This is sadly where everybody spends all of their time and they never get to the other eight things. That's why I wanted to, that's why I saved it to last. Proverbs 14, verse 16 says, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. Yeah, there may be some things in your life that you need to be cautious. Maybe it's the internet, maybe it's a smartphone, maybe it's uh, a particular person in your life that's enticing you. Um, maybe it's a blog that you visit. Maybe it's a Snapchat person you're connected with. Maybe it's uh, some other electronic.
things so easy. Maybe it's a sports event. Maybe it's a swimming pool. Maybe it's the gym. You need to be cautious, yes. You need to be prudent. There may be things you need to stay away from until you have the power to live in this world as one who's not of the world. So be prudent uh, by all means. But see, you first just need to acknowledge you've got a lust problem. You need to confess the sin of adultery and fornication. You need to know your target. It's not these things outside. It's in my heart. Aim at that heart. Deal with that heart issue that only Christ can solve. Five, fill yourself with the Word of God. Fill yourself with the right taking of the Lord's Supper. God, pursue marriage rightly. Pursue prayer and pursue prudence. Let's pray together. Father, a lot's been said. A lot of Scripture's been turned to. We acknowledge that we come before a God who is holy, holy, holy. Who can spare us? Who can save us? I am an unclean man in the midst of an unclean people. Where is their cleansing? Where is their holiness but in Christ alone? Father, we've all been affected. We've all sinned. We're adulterers. We're fornicators. Or we're extremely rare. Lord, grant us your grace. Grant us your mercy. Grant us cleansing and forgiveness. We want to take the Lord's Supper now. And we want to take it as those who are no longer playing with sin. But those who want to take sin serious as something that is detrimental to our souls, to our existence, and to our eternity. Father, help us to deal seriously with sin. Let us receive your word. Implant it within us. Let there be a revival of holiness. May we be vessels your Holy Spirit desires to inhabit. Change us, O God. Change our community. Change our nation. Bring us back to the righteousness of Christ, who alone is righteous, our all in all. Cleanse us and forgive us now so that we can take rightly. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.